So tonight we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 14. 14, yeah, book of Romans, chapter 14. Now, Paul, uh, he's been writing to the believers in Rome. In the last couple of chapters, we know he's been writing about practical living, right? Uh, practical living is life in action in how we participate with others. It's life in action in how we participate with others. So, um, He's primary, primarily, he is writing to believers, so keep that in mind. But it is all based upon who God is. It's all built upon who God is, a merciful, generous, loving, righteous God. Now, all his people, right, it, it's where all his people come with a set of Personal convictions and opinions. We are a very opinionated bunch of people. And tonight's message is about our personal convictions in how we participate with others taking our personal convictions in the light, in the light of the Lord. So, I want to begin tonight's. Um, I want to begin tonight's lesson with a testimony from a man who is called the champion of convictions. He's been coined the champion of convictions, and his name is Eric Lydell. And I know I brought. <laughs> Here it is. Thank you, Jason. All right, this is. The testimony about Eric Lydell. In the 1920s, Eric Lydell, a sprinter, was known as the fastest man in the world in the 100 meters. For months, Eric Lydell trained with the purpose of winning the 100 meter race at the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Sports writers predicted he would win. All bets were on Eric. Then Eric learned that the qualifying heat was scheduled on Sunday. This posed a problem. Eric believed that he could not honor God by running on the Lord's day. He simply said, I am not going to run on Sunday. And he even said no to the Prince of Wales because he's from that region right there. But and he did this all because he regarded one day above another. He regarded the Lord's day above all other days. Eric now, he didn't make a big deal about this. Nevertheless, his, his fans were stunned by his refusal. And the writers called him a fool. But Eric stood firm in his 
Christian values. He stood firm on his Christian convictions. He did not go against his conscience. He simply quoted from Romans chapter 14, verse 6, where it says, He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he quoted Romans 14, 23. He who doubts, he who doubts is condemned if he runs on Sunday. Because his running is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Those who knew Eric said he was completely in character. And many others, other athletes in those days, the Olympics, right? They were impressed by his stance. They said, here is a man who was prepared to stand for what he believed in. Without being dogmatic about it. Uh, a Christian uh, admirer of his, right? He gave him the following verse during this time. It's found in 1 Samuel 2.30 and I'm just going to read it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 says, Those who honor God or those who honor me, I will honor, speaking of the Lord. And that brings us to our message tonight in Romans 14. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for having you do everything we cannot do for ourselves concerning our salvation, Lord. We come thirsty. We come hungry for you and your word and what your word is going to do in our lives. Your transforming word, Father. You are truly the God of blessings and promises, the God of grace and we thank you for having mercy on our lives, Father. And we just want to lift up those who are not here, whether they're watching the game or whether they're ill or ever, whatever reason, Lord. Um, we just pray that you'll be with them, Father. Uh, we pray that you'll be with our pastor as he leaves on a plane tonight headed to Israel. We ask that the moment the the wheels of that plane hit the tarmac that he senses the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that everyone here will sense the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And I pray that tonight they will feel your presence. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. So last week, uh, David, he taught on practical living within society. In the governing authorities, right? This week we're going to look at practical living within the body, the body of believers, those who are followers of Christ Jesus, which everyone knows are a unique bunch. We are a unique bunch of people. But it's all about how we respond to each other in love, right? Christian practical living, right, is rooted in love. And that's it, right? Romans 14 is a picture. It is a picture of what it looks like when believers' convictions 
are rooted in love. So I begin in 14 verse 1. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. So I'm going to hold up right there where it is written. I'm going to hold up right there where it is written that God received him. And if you'll notice this word receive, we also find that in the first verse where it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith. Now, if God received him, and Paul is writing here that we are to receive him, right? You would expect that to be a command. And yes, it is. That verb is a command. Now, we are to receive him who is weak in the faith. What is Paul talking about here? Right? What is Paul talking about here? Is it uh, one who lacks knowledge of Scripture? Right? Uh, is it a, a new believer? A, a baby Christian? Or is it someone who's had a lack of good teaching? Right? Well, Someone who's weak in the faith, it could be all those things. There's many reasons why someone would be weak in the faith. But tonight, Paul is talking about grace. It's someone who does not quite understand the grace of God or not fully understand the grace of God. Now, remember, there will always be weaker believers who do not understand the, weak of, uh, the grace of God. And it also could be someone who is plagued with legalism, right? Now, all these I have just mentioned here come with their own opinions. They come with their own convictions, right? They'll come with their own set of beliefs. So I ask, is maturity a requirement for fellowship? Heavens, no, of course not. We all lack maturity in some area of our life, right? I lack maturity in areas of my life. Maturity is a process. Hey, I think I got an amen out of my wife there. <laughs> so, in verse 1, Paul's telling us not to dispute over doubtful things. So we're going to look at verse 1. Doubtful things are trivial things, things that are unimportant, right? Unimportant matters. And the NASB, I don't know, I think it might be up there. If you could put the NSA, NA, the New American uh, Standard Bible, the NASB, Romans, verse, uh, Romans 14, 1, it'll go ahead and it has a little better clarity. Do, do you have that on your... Um, you don't have that on there? All right. Uh, let me, I'm going to read it for you. So uh, the New American Standard Bible says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose 
of passing judgment on his opinions. We're talking about judging and bickering over unimportant matters, trivial things that God's really not concerned about. That's what we're talking about here. And Paul, so Paul gives us an example here in verse 2 and 3. And I'm going to read that again. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. So we see what's going on here in the church at Rome at that time, right? At this time in the church of Rome, animal sacrifices were a daily common event. There was many gods they sacrificed many different animals to at that time in Rome. Now remember, they would only use a portion of the animal. So what happened to the leftovers, right? Well, it was wholesaled to the butcher at the meat market. So it would be sold to all who came and shot and bought meat, bought food, right? That's what happened to the leftovers. And some believers were convinced that it was not of the Lord to eat sacrificed animals. And I get it, right? We read about that in Corinthians. Paul tells us, if it bothers your conscience, then don't eat it, right? That is our convictions, our personal convictions. So therefore, that believer who was convicted not to eat any animal that was sacrificed, he just completely stayed away and does not eat meat at all. He just ate vegetables, as Paul says. He would always have a clear conscience, and that is a good way to go about it. If there's any doubt in your mind, whatever you may be doing, right? Well, if think about it, if you just don't do it at all, then you'll have a clear conscience. The Holy Spirit is going to convict us when we are attempting something or thinking about doing something that is not of the Lord. The issue over food, right? Now, the issue over food really doesn't apply to us here tonight. However, the idea of passing judgment on people's opinions and convictions over petty and trivial matters does apply to us tonight. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And I'm going to go to verse 4, where Paul says, Who are you to judge another's servant? So at that time, we know in Rome that there was many servants. I don't know how many, but they say more than half of Rome was all slaves at that time. That's what Paul's talking about. We know there was a lot of Jews in Rome, and we know there was a lot of Gentiles. And pretty much more than half the people there were obviously slaves. So he says in verse 4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So who are you to judge, critique, or even monitor uh, another person? 
right? Another believer. We're not. And Paul comes right out and he asks the question right here in the beginning of his argument that he is establishing. Who are you to judge? This would be a subtle rebuke to some and it would be a warning for others. Now, as I mentioned, the servants refer to the many slaves in Rome who would only answer to their own master and ultimately God because he is speaking to believers here, right? Today, we don't need to look far to find people judging people, right? We really don't need to look far. We, we see it all the time. For example, like in the workplace where one co-worker is critiquing or monitoring another co-worker while not even paying attention with what's right in front of them. It happens all the time. Everybody judging it, critiquing, monitoring others, right? Have you ever known a, a brother or a, a sister that was more concerned about somebody else's walk with the Lord than their own walk? Have you ever seen that? They're Actually, they're kind of easy to spot because they're the, usually the ones who gossip, right? They're always talking about the other brother, critiquing the other sister, or whatever it may be. And they gossip about it. No, that's... <laughs> I want to take Paul's subtle rebuke in his warning here. I want to take it a little bit deeper here. Uh, can you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3, 4? Oh, wonderful. Thank you. All right. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So there you go. And can you go? There you go. For I know of nothing against myself. Now this is Paul writing this, right? This is Paul here, the apostle. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. In verse 5, therefore, as Dave explained what therefore is therefore, well, this is our exhortation, right? Sometimes an admonishment, depending on what it is. Therefore, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Now I'm going to hold up right there. Paul here is talking about judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. So he's talking about the future this is what he's talking about. The Lord's coming. We know that. One day, the Lord is coming. We know that. So Paul, he, he wants us to look to the future. And we know that the Lord is going to bring light upon everything, right? He's going to bring light upon the good, the bad, the sin, and all. Now, the counsels of the heart, where it talks about the counsels of the heart, that's our reasons for doing what we do. It is our motives. It's our motives for what we are doing. And they come right 
from the hearts. So, what's that saying about, uh, what's that saying? You ever heard of that? Pointing your finger at somebody, you're pointing a finger at somebody, you got three fingers pointing back at you. So I guarantee you, no, no matter what you are critiquing somebody for, right, when you're out of place and you shouldn't do it, right? When you're critiquing somebody or monitoring somebody and you're gossiping about them, I guarantee you've done worse, right? Anytime somebody, you know, points something out at me, I, I get it. I'm a sinner. I fall. I stumble. I'm going to continue. But by the grace of God, I can come back to the cross and ask for forgiveness. And God is faithful. He is faithful. Have you ever had thoughts? This is a question I'm asking you. Have you ever had thoughts about judging another or judging someone else? Now, I get it that, you know, there are some things we need to judge your brothers and sister on, some more serious matters, but we're talking about trivial matters here, right? Um, if you're thinking about judging something or speaking up or say something, look to your heart first. What are your motives for judging the other person? Is it ill will? Does it come from jealousy, contempt, bitterness towards that person? Well, your thoughts of judgment, right, if it is, if it's coming from ill will, jealousy, malice, well, your thoughts of judgment are not from the Lord. So cease, right, from judging that person. Those thoughts are from ill motives. The application here that Paul's talking about refers to both the weak Christian and the stronger Christian. I do want to tell you that. Paul is writing about imposing on others concerning petty and trivial matters. Matters to be left to one's own opinions and convictions. And remember, everyone will answer to God, the ultimate master. God decides who stands and who falls. That's what he tells us here in verse 4. For he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now I want to talk about that. As Paul writes in verse 4, Indeed he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. The word stand here means to be established. It means to be firmly planted in. The best part about this verse is that God does the work, right? It says, for God is able to make him stand. God does the work. That's the best part about this. And I want you to notice the word made. He will be made to stand, for God is able to make. See that word make right there? It's a very important word, right? This is why it's important. King David, when he was praying to God, he asked God to make him strong. He did not ask God to help him be a strong person. No, he asked God to make him strong. Right? David knew he was weak. David knew he didn't have anything in him. 
David emptied himself and became totally reliant upon God. Right? And God allowed him. And God made David stand because God is able. And that is a picture of God's character, his mercy in action. We can't do it ourselves, but God is able. That is a picture of God's character. Do you have First Thessalonians? I want to go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Do you have, oh, there we go. And this, I love this verse. This is one of my most favorite verses. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Now, who's, he's speaking to us. We're the you. Who's sanctifying us? No, I'm not. No, God is. God's doing the work. May he sanctify you completely. Wow. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse. So we know that sanctification is the process, right? Process of becoming more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. And that is the character of our Lord. He does the work, right? And Paul goes on here in verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems, I'm Romans number 5, yeah. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. So, like the eating restrictions, right? We have the same idea, except Paul introduces a new idea. He introduces a, a, a standard here. And we see this in verse 5, where Paul writes, Romans verse 5. And it says there, the, there we write there, the last sentence. It says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So I want to look at this idea of being fully convinced, right? Now, what does that mean? Uh, he does unto the Lord, right, without any doubts in his mind. So if you're getting ready to do something and you got doubts in your mind, chances are it's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, telling you, hey, hold up. Don't think about judging that brother over there for whatever reason it may be. In other words, to be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, he must, be, he must fully believe in his mind that what he is doing concerning his walk with the Lord is done in the light of the Lord, with the Lord's approval. That's what Paul is writing here. The church here, now, the church here in Rome is disputing over certain days being holy. Some think certain days are holier than other days, while others think every day is the same. 
Paul obviously had the Jews in mind when he wrote this, right? The Jews having ingrained into their DNA, having ingrained into their mind that they would be compelled to observe the Sabbath in the feast, right? Now, why did these Jews do what they do? Now, we all know that this is the time that Jesus came, he ascended and all that. We're living in the era of grace, the church age, right? But why did the Jews do this? Well, because the Jews consciously, right, consciously did what they did because they were fully convinced it was the right thing to do in the light of God. They believed that was the right thing to do. That's why they did it. This was their personal conviction. And Paul gave them his approval here in writing. The church needed to hear it from Paul. He carried a lot of weight. Paul gave him Gave the Jews his approval in writing. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul is talking about each person's own personal conviction. Now, uh, what are personal convictions? Personal convictions are boundaries, commitments, limits that we put on our walk with the Lord. That's what it is. In light of who God is. That's what personal convictions are. For example, some Christians will limit themselves to only watch G movies, right? While others will commit to morning devotions each and every morning before they walk out the door, right? Boundaries, commitments, and limits. That's what personal convictions, those are those what we place on our lives, what we place on our walk, those boundaries, those limits. Why should we have a set of of our own personal convictions? Why should we have that? Well, personal convictions help keep us grounded in Christ. It helps us to exercise wisdom and discernment when we're making decisions in our life, important big decisions. We can lean on those convictions, right? It helps us to develop spiritual maturity and allows us to set godly examples. Now, how do we create these personal convictions? It's really simple. Um, Can we go to James? James chapter 1, verse 5. Here we go. If you need to know how to set your personal convictions, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it to all liberally. Wow. And without reproach. And it will be given to him. It's that simple. Man, it's right there. This is a promise from God to you. And again, we see the loving character of our God. He wants to protect us, keep us safe. He wants to keep us from injuring or harming ourselves, hurting our families, right? Or smearing the image of our loved ones. God wants to keep us. From doing that. Here, who will provide liberally, right? That means in abundance, abundance of wisdom, you need to create, He will give you the wisdom you need to create your very own personal set of convictions. And I want to add one thing right here. If 
if you, right, if you earnestly pursue this promise of God, if you earnestly pursue this promise of God, let me tell you, God's going to give it to you. I can guarantee that. God's going to answer this prayer right here. And he's going to give it to you straight. And let me tell you something. You may not like what you are hearing, right? You may not like what you're hearing from the Lord. It's not going to be easy. But remember, God is able to make you stand, whether you want to hear it or not, right? That's our God. So in verse 7 here, Romans, back to Romans verse 7, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. I'm going to go 7, 8, and 9, Romans. Verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Wow. So what Paul is doing here is he's building a case. He's building an argument against these uh, believers in Rome who are judging others, right? Over their convictions of the eating or obeying their Sabbath days, right? He's building his case here. He's explaining it to them. So they have a clear picture. So they'll quit the arguing so as Paul is building this argument, he, write, he writes here that none of us lives for himself. We, we don't just live our lives for ourselves. We've been bought. We've been bought at a very high price, the blood of Jesus, right? We know that. So the argument is, this is the argument Paul is saying here in verse 7 through 9. Since you now belong to the Lord... Your life should now be dedicated to the Lord fully. Therefore, whatever we do, we do it unto the Lord. We do it to the Lord. We do it for the Lord because Jesus is Lord. Paul is talking, Paul, Paul here, he's taking their eyes off themselves and he's putting their eyes on others. Instead of being self centered, he wants them to be others-centered. That's what Paul is trying to achieve here, right? Because he desires for them to be about the body, the body of Christ. And you must be others-centered if you are a part of the body of Christ. We're called to do that. So verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read that right now. Why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. 
not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. So in the beginning here in verse 10, Paul, he throws in a couple rhetorical questions. He throws them these questions in there because he wants them to think about what they're doing. He wants to remind them of their ill behavior. He, he wants them to move forward. He wants them to move past this. What's going on in the church, the problems in the church, the bickering over meaningless, trivial little things over people's conviction. Paul knows they can move past this. And he wants to take their focus off of that what's going on in the church. And he wants them to focus on the future, right? Paul wants them to focus on the future. That's why he gives them those rhetorical questions. And he, right here in verse 10, he says, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? And then Paul gives it to him right here. For we shall all stand before the judgment of Christ. So he's taking their eyes off themselves and what's going on. And he wants them to be on Christ in the future. If you're having a down day, just think of our hope that we have, that future, that eternal life that we have right now. If you're in Christ, you're living the eternal life, right? I mean, you're in these dusty, dirty, sinful bodies of yours, but no, you're going to get new ones. That's what Paul wants them to look at, the future. So, Paul's solution, I guess you can say, his solution to these issues that they themselves created is simple. Point them to the future, as Paul does that. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So now, they should have second thoughts concerning their ill behavior. And Paul, he sort of affirms that up right here in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, he says... As I live, or excuse me, Romans verse 11, this is Isaiah. He says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. So there we go. We're, look to the future. So in verse 12 here, Paul says, this real short little verse. This is a very powerful verse, actually. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Paul is enticing them to take this Personally, between them and the Lord, we have that personal relationship. That's what Paul is. Because they're going to be accountable for their actions unto the Lord and no one else, right? Each of us shall be accountable to God ourselves. And in verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in your brother's way. Romans 13. This is Paul's appeal here, right? Um, and it's an exhortation here. Now, um, he's telling them not to judge anyone anymore. And listen to what he says. But rather resolve this. In other, in other words, Paul's saying, come together, work together, resolve this. You guys can do it. I have faith. I believe in you. The church in Rome, he believed that they can get through these issues in the church themselves. That's what Paul's, he's giving them grace, right? They can move past this. He tells them, he tells them not to use their liberties or their freedoms. He 
telling them not to use their liberties or freedoms to stumble or be a stumbling block or cause a brother to fall. Our convictions, our freedoms, and our liberties, whatever they, don't be flaunting them in front of a brother who has a conviction against that. For example, let me give you an example. Let's say we have a brother or a sister of ours who will only watch G-rated movies. Well, don't come home and, or don't be bragging about a, a rated R movie and tell them how great it is and tell them there's no sex scenes in it. Come on, you gotta see it. And tell them, oh, I probably should have been rated G. Don't tell them that. And heavens, whatever you do, don't invite them to the movie. You know, that, that's imposing your convictions upon someone else. That is tempting your brother or your sister. We're not called to do that. And that is sin, right? That's what Paul is saying here when he says, do not put a stumbling block or cause your brother or sister to fall. So verse 14, he says, and I know I am convinced I know I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So hey, if your brother has a conviction, right, let him have it. Because to him, that conviction is serious for whatever whatever reason he has it. He has it for a good reason. Because God's told him, God's allowing him to have that, that personal conviction. So Paul here, he's going to give us of a reason. He's going to give us a list. He's going to give us a list of reasons why we should not stumble a brother, right? Paul reminds us that uh, when we do so, we are no longer walking in love. That's what he says. Verse 14 and 15. I know I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So let your brother run with his convictions. In verse 15 he says, Yet, yet if your brother is grieved of your food, that's eating food in front of him, right? That's what he's talking about here. If he is grieved of your food, you are no longer walking in love. You are no longer walking in the Spirit, right? That's what he's saying here. You are walking in the flesh, and the flesh kills, right? Yeah. So Paul goes on, and he says here in verse 15, Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. So Paul goes on about not destroying your brother or your sister who Christ died for. He means that we are not to trip up our brother in Christ because he belongs to the Lord. Christ died for him. And when we do, we offend both our brother or sister and the Lord. We offend both our brother or sister and the Lord, the Lord who laid down his life and died for us. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Now, this is pretty simple. This is kind of speaking of a person's reputation here. So, now, if you're a, a, a person, right, and you say you're following Christ, and you're, all, you're always, you know, making mistakes, or should I say it another way? Uh, 
do not let your good be spoken of as evil. I believe Paul is speaking about a person's reputation. If you're following Christ, doing the right thing, people are going to know that you're a good person and you are doing good deeds, right? But on the other hand, or on the other end of the spectrum, if that person all of a sudden one day does a good deed, well, you're probably going to question that good deed. Why is he doing that good deed? That's out of character. He normally doesn't do that. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't let your good be spoken up of evil. In other words, you need to change your ways. Verse 17, he goes on. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The main point of our Christian walk is is not about our personal convictions like eating restrictions or only watching G-rated movies. It's about living the life filled with peace and joy, being led by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's telling us here. Being led by the Holy Spirit is important because the world will pull you down, but the Holy Spirit will lift you up. That's why it's so important to be led by the Holy Spirit. Paul wants to look, he wants them to look at the kingdom of God. He he wants to look to them to look up instead of looking at the issues going on in the church. As he says in verse 18, verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by God. Men, all these things Paul has just mentioned is practical Christian living and a picture of what it looks like to serve Christ. And naturally, you would achieve a good reputation, right? That is acceptable to God and obviously approved by men for the purpose purpose of attracting others to the faith Faith in Jesus. In verse 19 and 20, he goes, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So all these things, Paul's telling us here, Paul exhorts us to pursue peace and edify one another. It is evil for a man who eats with offense. When, he st- when we stumble and we go against our convictions, it is evil. And it is sin. And he says that right here in verse 20. Do not destroy the works of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So if we're being convicted and we're doing something, that's sin. We're being condemned for a reason. The Holy Spirit is convicting us for a reason, right? And he tells us right here in verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read 21 to 23. It is good neither, neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he 
does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So, do you? Do you have faith in that whatever you are doing, it is not sin? That's what Paul's saying here. You have to have faith. You got to know without a shadow of a doubt that what you're doing, it is approved by the Lord. That's what he's telling us. Paul's also telling us right here that he says, Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Paul also tells us that we can keep it. If we want to keep it between the Lord, our convictions, our personal convictions, we can keep it between the Lord and ourself, right? Now, if you have any doubts whatsoever, you're being convicted. You're being condemned. And it's not of the faith, then it's sin. And remember that our convictions from the Holy Spirit, when we're being convicted, well, that's a good barometer for those gray areas in our lives, those uh, debatable areas in our lives. The Holy Spirit's going to let us know. So do you remember that verse in uh, 1 Samuel tonight? First in 1 Samuel, the Christian admired Eric Little for his standing firm in his convictions. And he gave him that verse during the heat that he was receiving in 1 Samuel 2.30. And it says, those who honor me, I will honor Moving on with Eric's little story, it says, as God's providence would have it, a runner during the 1924 Paris Olympics dropped out of the 400-meter race, scheduled for a weekday. Eric offered to fill in that day. Even though that race was four times longer than the one he trained for, the 100-meter race, well, as he came out of the gate, he won that race that day. He won the 400-meter race. Not only did he win, he ran away with it and broke the world record. And he did it in world record time. What Eric did was acceptable to God and approved by man. Romans 14, 18. God did honor him that day. And the men of that day honored him as well with a gold medal. So may I encourage you tonight to get with the Lord. And if you don't have your personal convictions, a list or a set of your personal convictions, get with the Lord and make one. The Lord's going to steer you right. He does it every time. That is a promise. And if you already have that personal list of your personal convictions, well, get with the Lord and go over it periodically and see if there's any changes in there, you know? See if there's anything else in your area of your life the Lord wants you to work on, right? And you can keep it between you and the Lord, right? And you and the Lord can have this intimate, personal, personal commitment together. And that is a promise of God. He has given us his word and he has given us his son, Christ 
Jesus. God is able to make us stand. And he does the work himself. That's the best part. Just like he himself provided a sacrifice for Abraham. Right? So let us pray. Father, we are so, so grateful that you are in control, that you are on the throne, Father, and you know everything, everything we've done in the past and everything we're going to do in the future, Father. So we pray for your Holy Spirit, for the conviction. We welcome your conviction, Lord. And as we join together in communion tonight and distribute the elements, may we look to you and may you reveal anything in us that is not of you, Father. May you show us areas of our lives that we need to work on, areas of our lives we can improve, Lord. And may we come to you in earnest prayer and ask you by your spirit to give us the power and the, ris- and the, the, power and the wisdom to overcome, Lord, as you are able to make us stand. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that we do not have any Eric Littles in the house tonight. But we can still follow in his tracks and standing firm on our convictions, our boundaries, our limits that we set for ourselves. And in that, we will win others to Christ, Jesus. And they will also be able to taste the love of God that each and every one of us here know. That is so wonderful. And remember, and it is true that none of us here will be receiving any gold medals, but we got something greater. We got crowns awaiting for us. So I ask you to leave as you leave here tonight. Just remember those crowns and what God has awaiting for us, a future and a hope. So I just pray that everyone here, Lord, They will be filled with your spirit and know that they can call upon you, call upon your name any time, and you'll be there to get them through whatever they need to get through in this life, Lord. And we look unto you, the future and our hope, or hope, sure, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and for having mercy on our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.